Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, Jim. Hi, everyone. Nice to be back for the latest edition of The Other Hand. Lots to get through today, Jim. So I'm going to hand over straight away to you because I know that before we get into the all-important three central bank meetings that we've had this week, you want to talk us through some fairly significant developments with respect to Irish economic data, particularly an IDA report, and in our time-honoured fashion, how that links into things like the latest trade data that's come out uh, for Ireland and how everything is related to everything else. So straight over to you, mate. Okay, uh, good to talk, Chris. Yeah, lots of juicy statistics to get our teeth into on the Irish side. Uh, I want to start off with the IDA's end-year employment report. And um, it's interesting, the headline that the IDA runs with is that this is the second year in a row that employment support by IDA companies is over 300,000. But of course, the devil is in the detail. There was actually a slight decline in the last 12 months, uh, 0.3%. There was 300,583 people employed by IDA-supported companies um, at the end of 2023, and that's 11.3% of employment. So it's very significant. And I always stress, Chris, that for every one job in the multinational sector, it is estimated that 0.8 of a job is supported in the rest of the economy. Looking at the breakdown of the employment, um, business and financial services up by 0.8%, traditional manufacturing up by 0.2%, and employment in modern manufacturing up by 1.8%. However, employment by companies in the ICT sector, technology, down by 2.9%. Um, and, and that's effectively um, what delivered the, the small decline in employment 
um, in 2023. Um, an interesting statistic that comes out is that the payroll to those 300,583 employees last year was, or sorry, this year was 22.1 billion up 12% on the previous year. So despite the fact there was a modest decline in employment, uh, the payroll is up. And 22.1 billion is an incredibly significant number. You know, it's a lot of money being pumped into the economy and is indicative of just how important the IDA is to employment in Ireland. And indeed, 54% of the new investments they got in the last 12 months have been outside of Dublin. So the regional impact is also very important. Uh, But anyway, um, and this doesn't actually come as a huge surprise given the data we've been analysing all year, um, a modest decline in the technology sector. Okay, Uh, it is modest. I stress that. um, And it could have been worse given the sort of job losses we saw in the ICT sector during the year, at least particularly globally. Uh, But as I've been saying to you, a lot of those workers that have been shed by IDA-supported tech companies are actually being soaked up in other parts of the economy, in companies that are not supported by the IDA. So as a consequence, we're really getting a bit of a switch from ICT workers out of IDA-supported companies to other companies in the economy. And indeed, the net result was that actually the last labor force survey up to the end of September showed an increase in employment um, in the ICT sector overall in the economy. I hope I haven't confused you there, Chris, but uh, I I guess the point is that the IDA supported companies under a little bit of pressure, but those workers have been soaked up in non-IDA supported uh, companies. And you're talking about financial services. In fact, you're talking about every sector of the economy that really struggled to compete against the big tech companies over the last few years to hire workers. Um, Jim, I take that as good news. It's a, it's a kind yeah. of sort of quasi rebalancing of the economy in a way. And if that's true, if that description is true, that's healthy, isn't it? It, it is. It is, of course, Chris. Absolutely. There, there is no doubt about that. Um, but if, if you delve beneath, then you can see why this is happening. Uh on Friday, today, we got the merchandise export numbers for October. And um, in the first 10 months of the year, overall exports down by 5.4%, food down by 0.3%. The chemical and pharmaceutical sector, which is the most significant export component, accounting for about 65% of the total, exports from that sector down by 4.6%. And within that, medical and pharmaceutical products down 4.1% and organic chemicals down 17%. And then electrical machinery um, down by 41.8%. So uh, with the exception of food, all of those sectors I'm mentioning there are dominated by the multinational sector. So they're IDA supported companies. So their export performance is has suffered in the first 10 months of this year. So, and that, as I say, is being reflected in the IDA's employment report. So these things are related. And um, it is, as we discuss every month, hard enough to know 
and interpret what's going on. Uh, but we're certainly still seeing this uh, rebalancing from the inordinate growth we saw in chemical and pharmaceutical exports during the COVID period. And of course, the drugs that were being exported were higher value than the drugs that are being exported at the moment. Um, so it's, 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 it's a mixed picture, but I would not say this is the sort of end of the Irish export boom. It is not the end of the Irish FDI boom. I think it is a rebalancing of the economy and the sort of exponential growth we've seen up until this year in recent years just could not be sustained. So you could probably say, actually, this is a healthy correction makes the thing more sustainable. Well, that's that's good news. And uh, it is the season of goodwill. So we're, we will we will interpret it as good news. One of the things that I thought you might say to me today, Jim, and you may be saving this up for later, so I'll, I'll bring it to the front um, before we talk a little bit more about about some uh, Irish uh, things um, is here in the UK, we had news today that the service sector has surprised on the upside. And that comes also this week with an article in The Economist. The Economist this week is really interesting in, in a number of regards, but it talks about London and the way London is bouncing back. And I think the two things, the economic news that we had today about the service sector and The Economist and others becoming more optimistic about London are connected because London is a service sector economy. And The Economist mentions that one of the economic policy problems facing too many governments or being committed by economic policy mistakes being committed by governments is the fetishization of manufacturing. And the UK is a service sector economy, not a manufacturing economy. We have 80 to 90 percent of the economy is service sectors and the manufacturing sector is a rump. It's a, it's a shadow of its former self. A lot of people think that that's a problem. I happen not to think so. But London is booming again. Uh, is the message from the service sector, at least the message from the Economist article. And it's recovered from the financial crisis, which was a real blow to it, and it's showing signs of recovering from Brexit as well. So I thought that you would take me to task on my, my pessimism about the UK. But of course, the um, this this <laughs> what's the opposite to a silver lining? Um, the, the downside, the, the, sh the, the shadow cast by London is that the rest of the country isn't sharing in this economic boom. That's the problem. And there are lots of different ways you could you could say that. But uh, we've had two pieces of economic news, one in my favour, one in yours this week. One is that the UK economy shrank in October, actually was down 0.3, which is worse than expected. And now the service sector has bounced back. And some of the more government supporting newspapers here in the UK have contrasted the bounce back in the services PMI, effectively, the Purchasing Manager Survey, which is behind this story that the service sector is bouncing, contrasting that with Europe. And we've had headlines today that UK pulls ahead of Europe. Um, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I'm not quite sure whether that's the, uh, the right way to describe it. And it, it is only one month's data. And as I say, these things tend to bounce along the bottom. But we have had um, a one step forward one step backward week for, for UK economic data. But I think it's a story about London. And I think that's the problem facing the UK is that London is doing fine. The rest of the country isn't. But anyway, back to you. Is there anything more on Ireland that you want to talk about before we move internationally? Yeah, there's so much, Chris. Uh, we got the inflation data yesterday. Um, and remember that Ireland's headline consumer price inflation, the annual rate peaked at 9.2%. 
um, in October of last year. Um, in November last month, it had fallen to 3.9% and actually fell by 0.6% during the month. Um, year to date, inflation has averaged 6.5%, but this is the first time the annual rate has been below 5% since 2021. And looking at the breakdown, um, what we're seeing here is very much a story of service sector inflation still being quite strong in the economy, whereas goods inflation much more muted. And in fact, in the year to November, service sector inflation was up by over 5%. Goods inflation was up by about 1.8%. Um, and, and that is reflecting what you were saying about in the UK, the services sector growing strongly. It's, it's pretty much the same here. And that's where the real inflation is being felt in the system. And of course, the tight labour market, particularly in the services sector, is feeding into that. Um, the uh, any interesting piece as well, uh, food price inflation was up a bit in November, running at 6.3% at the moment. Uh, mortgage costs are 37% higher than a year ago. Um, electricity prices down 14.5%, natural gas 12, down 12.9%, home heating oil down 16.9%. So what's having a huge impact on the downward pressure on inflation is undoubtedly what's happening in the energy sector. But I still think um, the overall trend across the board is for a more muted inflation backdrop. Um, and, you know, that has to be welcomed also. Um, we spoke in our last podcast about house prices generally. And I was saying that in the next couple of days, Irish house price data will be published and that they're likely to show a bit of a rebound in the market. And indeed, that's exactly what has happened. Um, I, I only ever re-mention stuff that I got right, Chris. Okay, I ignore the rest pretty much. But um, I trained you well, Jim, didn't I? <laughs> absolutely. Um, national average residential property prices up 1.1% um, during the month. Um, that's 2.3% year on year. And within that, Dublin prices increased by 1.1% during October, but were 0.6% lower than a year ago. And outside of Dublin, a 1% jump in prices during the month, 4.5% increase year on year. So it's quite clear that the upper pressure on house prices has actually started to resume again. And anecdotally, I felt that that was a thing for the last couple of months and the statistics, although they're, they're, they are lagging, but um, they are sort of suggesting the same thing. Um, and just a little bit of context, Chris, um, in October, national average residential property prices were 5.1% above the peak that was achieved back in April 2007. Dublin prices are still 6.3% below the February 2007 peak and outside of Dublin prices are 6.1% above the May 2007 peak. So generally what we're seeing, you know, what we've seen over the last decade is massive growth in house prices. And we have discussed that many times, but, um, you know, the fact that prices are starting to rise again um, is probably indicative of what's happening on the interest rate front, you know, the change, and we'll talk about that in a second, but the change in interest rate sentiment 
um, I think is probably feeding in. But the more fundamental point, of course, is that the demand supply imbalance in the Irish housing market remains very much with us. Uh, I, I suppose another point that is worth making, Chris, is that um, in the context of the interest rate increases we've seen by the European Central Bank, four and a half percent since the end of July 22, um, the Irish housing market actually has proved amazingly resilient. And I think that shows a number of things. One is the growth in population, the growth in employment, the reasonably healthy economic backdrop. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I guess more fundamentally, again, it is just this demand supply imbalance. There's a lot more demand out there than there is supply. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Well, you know, we talked the other day about just maybe possibly um, reading the runes, the tea leaves, just trying to sort of sift the noise of so much economic data that's coming out at the moment. And we've been on this kick for a while that uh, the, the data was getting weaker, particularly in Europe. And even the US was showing signs of uh, their rapid growth rates were fading and their labor market might might be loosening. And I talked earlier today about how the UK is surprised for its service sector based economy on the upside and that more generally, maybe that uh, this slowdown that we've been, the data has been hinting at globally might be coming to an end and that therefore one of the things that also might be coming to an end before it even got started was the the housing price correction. And if you uh, add into that mix, the, the possibility that interest rates will be cut next year, the housing uh, sensitivity to interest rates is obvious to mortgage rates. So just maybe there isn't going to be a big house price correction uh, that everybody was kind of sort of hoping for, to be honest. Um, but in terms of the all important service sector, which is the dominant sector for most economies, I've talked about the UK, we've also had data out today from the States and the US private sector Composite PMI, to use the jargon, this is an indicator of service sector growth, an important one. Um, It accelerated to a five-month high today. Uh, It beat expectations. And there wasn't great news on the pricing components of this data. So we've had great euphoria this week about US interest rates in particular and global interest rates in general, particularly European and UK ones. But I'm beginning to wonder, and it's a question, um, it's only a question, Jim. I'd be grateful for your opinion on this. Is is all this euphoria starting to look a little bit overdone, given this these very preliminary straws in the wind 
that economies might be stabilizing, albeit at low growth rates in the context of Europe, but they're not getting any worse. And one or two economies like the US and the UK are showing signs of expanding again. And if that's the case, I would have thought that the euphoria could well be overdone and there may well be lots of disappointment over interest rates next year. I don't think that interest rates necessarily will go up from here, but the very chunky interest rate cuts that are now priced into market expectations, do you think that's overdone? You mentioned the data out of the States today, but we also had the purchasing managers indices out of the euro area, uh, very, very weak. Uh, the headline number very, very weak. And in fact, one of the um, comments that you could make about the breakdown by country is that France now seems to be overtaking Germany in terms of economic weakness. Um, the French numbers were really, really weak. So the headline numbers certainly suggest a very significant slowdown in the Eurozone economy in manufacturing and services. But the other aspect that is really interesting is the fact that the price components built into that those indices are still actually quite strong so that that is reflecting what you were saying really while we're seeing the slowdown in headline growth inflationary pressures are still very real in the system um, and and that's why uh, th there is a distinct possibility that actually very positive market sentiment about interest rates next year uh, could be disappointed. There's a long way to go. You know, there's a lot of data um, to be released over the coming months that will give us a clearer picture. But um, I think uh, the Federal Reserve people following the comments that were made during the week after their meeting that they, they're building in three rate cuts during 2024, totaling 75 basis points. I think they're probably looking at that statement now and wondering, were we premature? Um, and I think the European Central Bank yesterday, as usual, struck a more cautionary note, sort of saying that, uh, you know, interest rate cuts aren't on the table for the foreseeable future. And I think the ECB would look at the price elements of the purchasing managers index today and say, well, actually, we're right. Uh, it is still not time to cut interest rates. But Chris, I would be absolutely amazed if we saw a central bank increasing interest rates next year. I still think it's a question of when rather than whether interest rates start to come down. I'll say three things, Jim. Tis the season. And it is the second thing I'd say, tis the season to be making economic forecasts. And the third thing I'd say is that tis the season to be, econo to be making economic forecasts that will inevitably be wrong. So I'm not sure where we, what we were saying this time last year. I'd hate to go back and... Uh, take a listen to our outlook pieces very prescient yeah oh yes we were very prescient definitely and um congratulations by the way you know you were you were you were bang on the money in everything that you said <laughs> uh but i i find it extraordinary that the economy that seems to need interest rate cuts the least is the one where its central bank is talking about them the most that's the fed so we had three central bank meetings this week the fed where the latest economic data is strong very strong. Latest GDP data was that the economy is growing in excess of 5%. So they're talking about interest rate cuts, actually explicitly forecasting them in the case of the individual members of the Federal Reserve uh, Interest Rate Setting Committee. The economy that seems to need them the most from a real economic perspective is Europe. And they're saying, no, we're not going to be cutting rates. So we have an extraordinary set of circumstances where 
uh, I, I'm not surprised that we're all terribly confused, to be honest, Jim. Yeah, there there is definitely a lot of confusion out there. And uh, I, I, I would say, actually, that... I was quite I was quite amazed actually as were the markets obviously about what the Fed came out with the other night, um because the statement that is always published after the meeting the FOMC statement um is about a one A four describing why they made the decision they made which the other night was to leave interest rates unchanged but if you read the if you read the content of that. It actually was, you know, fairly balanced. It was sort of saying that there are signs of some slowdown in the economy, elevation, or sorry, inflation is still elevated and so on. And you wouldn't exactly, well, I didn't conclude from reading that statement the minute it was published that the Fed was going to turn around and indicate what it indicated in the press conference afterwards that their internal forecasts were building in three rate cuts during 2024. Um, I thought that that was a mad sort of statement to come out with it drove the markets absolutely berserk we saw the dow go through 30000 and um i was reminded of a tweet 37000 jim or 30 sorry 37000 i beg your pardon um but i was m- minded of a tweet that donald trump made um can i get back to it i want to find uh i want to find this tweet and just i want to get back to it a little bit later on but anyway the point was that the markets went absolutely spared it or nice we saw um you know massive growth okay yeah here we are um in 20 september 2020 Donald Trump tweeted, the Dow Jones Industrial just closed above 29,000. You are so lucky to have me as your president. With Joe Hyden sick, it would crash. Hmm. And here we are, the other night. What did I just say about economic forecasts and financial forecasts and stock market forecasts? Uh, Why why do we bother is always the the question that I'm asked. But uh, the question that we're asked the most is what's going to happen next, Jim? And, And that's apparently how we earn our earn our money it's a strange way to earn a living isn't it yeah very very strange um and obviously and i think next week we will be doing um at least one podcast looking ahead to 2024 in a bit more detail but it just strikes me at this stage that the uh debate next year the economic discourse uh will be around number one the extent of the economic slowdown if it's happening Secondly, what that means for inflation, you know, will inflation continue to um, edge down towards the 2% target? It's almost there in most jurisdictions. And thirdly, how quickly will central bankers respond to that? I think they are the three major economic debates to be had. And I think, you know, that's, I think, what 2024 is going to be all about. Um, Do you think there's a possibility I don't, but do you think there's a possibility that at some stage we might be discussing our rates going to rise again? And if so, by how much? I think it's highly unlikely. I share that with you, Jim. I would never say never about anything because I'm always, I go on about the failure, our inability to forecast accurately. It's not a personal comment about forecasters. It's just something that we don't have the tools or the techniques or indeed the data to be able to do consistently and accurately. But let me ask you a slightly different question, but related, Jim. Next year is going to be really interesting from an economic perspective, given all that we've just said. 
the way economics and politics are going to interact next year is going to be really fascinating because we've got elections in Taiwan, in Russia, in America, maybe in the UK, maybe even in Ireland. Big, big political year. It used to be said there was a president. It might have been Clinton. He used to have a sign on his desk saying, it's the economy, stupid. Remember that? I do indeed. That was Clinton, yeah. And uh, these days, it the right sign would be, it's not the economy, stupid, because we hear and read all the time about the way in which voters in the US think their economic situation is desperate and that it's all Joe Biden's fault. And Joe Biden has created millions more jobs than Donald Trump ever did. Uh, he is presiding over an economy at full employment, something that Donald Trump certainly never did. And we could go on and list the economic achievements that have been seen under Joe Biden's presidency. And yet it doesn't affect his poll ratings at all, which are in the toilet. And uh, one of the things that uh, I noticed this week is that Republican voters were asked in one survey whether their economic circumstances had improved or disimproved, worsened over the course of the Biden presidency. And guess what? They mostly said our economic circumstances, my economic circumstances have gotten worse under Joe Biden. And then they were asked, the ones that said their economic circumstances had gotten worse under Joe Biden, what are your economic circumstances? And on average, their real incomes had improved by $40,000 a year. What the hell is going on, Jim? I mean, it, it, it isn't the economy stupid anymore, is it? No, it's, it's, it's actually not, because uh, you, you look here, for example, at what's happening in the Irish economy, and uh, we'll get a barrage of criticism over this, but you'd have to say the Irish economic performance has been pretty decent. You look at the employment, labour market, you look at the exchequer finances, uh, you look at consumer spending, you know, stuff is holding up pretty well. And can I just throw out um, an interesting statistic in that regard? Um, because we keep getting asked, the, well, I keep getting asked the question in over the last couple of years, is Ireland going to go the same way as it did back in 2007, 2008? And, and this feeds into what you were saying about how people feel. But I was looking at the latest data on household finances in this country. And at the end of October, household credit outstanding was 101.6 billion. Okay, that is household personal borrowing. And of that 101.6, the mortgage market accounts for 83.4. And then the other side of the personal balance sheet personal deposits 153.1 billion okay um over 50 billion higher than credit outstanding what we've seen since 2011 has been dramatic growth in personal deposits particularly over the last three years and secondly there has been an ongoing decline in household credit outstanding. So in other words, there's more household lending being paid back every month than is being lent out. And of course, the central bank's mortgage lending rules since 2015 have, have played a part in that. But the real point here is, Chris, that back in 2007, 2008, household credit outstanding far exceeded deposits so that the personal balance sheet was in a very fragile state. And lo and behold, uh, for a variety of reasons, as we know, the whole economy imploded at that stage. In 2015, that pivoted. And since 2015, we've seen household deposits exceed credit outstanding. So that that is a real positive. And of course, 
I, I would hasten to add that these aggregate numbers um, always do not tell the full story because I guarantee you if you got a breakdown of who controls those deposits, it's middle-aged people with pensions who own their own homes, etc. It is not the younger generation under 40 struggling with um, housing costs, be it rental or buying, um, probably without a defined pen, uh, well, a, a pension scheme, full stop. And uh, so th- there's lots of different stuff going on. And, and, and I think that if you ask the under 40s in this country about life, they will give you a lot less positive picture than people of my age would give it to you, you know, because uh, it, it, there's, there's very much an intergenerational thing. But going back to your point at the beginning of all of this, um, it's not the economy stupid because if it was um, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party uh, would be much, much higher in the opinion polls. There's something else going on. You know, it's around. And I, and I guess this is actually a sign of progress. When your life gets better, your needs change. So stuff like healthcare, infrastructure, law and order, these issues start to become more important to you. Whereas at a certain stage a few years ago, we'd be more worried about our jobs. So, so it's how you feel rather than it, it's, how, it's, you it's, feel, it's yeah. how the hell do you measure that, Jim? And and given, I mean, I know I feel different in the mornings compared to how I feel in the afternoons. So uh, how I'm going to vote on the basis of my feelings, I have absolutely no idea. And if people are going to vote on the basis of their feelings rather than the basis of their material well-being or their lack of material well-being, then God help us all, because it'll, the election result will be decided by the day and the week that it's held, rather than any objective reality. Uh, so I think we should probably call it there, Jim. We've run out of our allotted time, and so I look forward to doing those outlook pieces with you next week. And there are several other things that I'm going to talk about, um, not least, and I know you won't be able to wait for this, Jim. You'll be nagging me all weekend for my thoughts on this, but Wales has lost its prime minister this week and you'll want Correct, to know yeah. exactly why and what I think about all of that. And I know you can't wait, but uh, so it I'll wasn't say... just a natural resignation though. Yes and no. Uh, he'd okay. always said he would go after five years and 2024 will be those five years. I think it's, uh, I'll tell you what I think next week. Okay. I look forward to it. Uh, Chris, a couple of things I'd like to say. Uh, I do have a good weekend. I have a weekend of correcting <clears throat> exam papers ahead of me. Uh, and the other point I would make, I was just back, I'm just back from the Aviva Stadium. I was taking part in a penalty shootout with brokers um, for charity reasons. Um, we were taking penalties against a League of Ireland legend who works for Aviva, Norman Costello. Oh, I and, remember that um, name. Yeah. Suffice to say, I wouldn't actually be telling you this story if the outcome wasn't you, a good one. you scored three out of three, didn't you, Jim? <laughs> but um, I'm saying nothing, Chris. People can await the video. Okay. I look forward to that as well. Cheers, <laughs> Have buddy. A one, man. Have Bye. a great weekend. Bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.